Oh, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mix and Master Faster podcast show broadcast. <laughs> Extravaganza. <laughs> Extravaganza 2021. I'm here with my friend Mark, and uh, we're hanging out. And today, we're going to talk about the tension between systems and creativity. Did I say tension? It's not what I meant. The ability of systems to increase, enable, and generally just like remove the friction from creativity. I yeah. Think people usually see it as the opposite, that like the systems are anti-creative. Not true. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't even catch, you know, that that wasn't what you meant because I feel like there is a big tension between systems and creativity. Well, I think there's a perceived tension. Tension, if you go to someone who hasn't thought of that before, even without realizing that they probably have systems of some sort. Yeah. And you're like, we could systemize this and your life would be potentially easier. They're like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, system. Well, it's weird. What? Like, there's a prejudice there. But yeah. With someone that's like, you know, someone that that's sort of anti-systems and snobby. It's like, bro, when's the last time you shit in a toilet? <laughs> yeah, because that's a system, yeah. bro. It systemized it. Has that helped you in your quality of life and ability to be creative, rather than uh, put on boots to walk to the outhouse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, There's probably multiple things that people do that are systems without realizing that they're actually systems. They just are called organization. Yeah. I think the purpose of a system in regards to this podcast is to free you to be creative. For me, if I spend too much time on the not creative stuff, I am just, I, I go into task zombie mode. <laughs> like all of a sudden, Mr. Creative Chris is totally gone. Like I cannot summon him yeah. because I'm exhausted. I have to be like relatively in a good mood and happy and stuff. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to do it in a little bit of a of a weird way um, by telling you guys some stories about how other people have done this. But first, Mark, I... I is this banter time? It is. This is a little bit, little bit of banter I, I want to have with you. Bantering. Question. Yeah. You recently borrowed a pair of headphones from yes. me. Yes. Yeah. The Odyssey LCDXs. Yes. In my opinion, the greatest studio headphones of all time. They are insane. What did you think of them? I liked them a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They. Uh, it took me a minute to get used to how detailed the mid-range was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Super detailed, but not as I wouldn't call it harsh. No. But very, 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 very articulate. Yeah. Articulate. Right. Well, I asked this question for a couple of reasons, but I, so I work with Odyssey. I'm like, he, he wants to know why I returned them broken. <laughs> he hasn't told me that they're broken yet. <laughs> well, I, I talked to my dude at Odyssey and, um, we both think that you, that you should have a pair of these headphones. No. Yeah. What? Yeah, so you hear uh, the room reverb. Sorry, yeah. neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I I I think you have to give them a quote or something to to. Uh, that's the only stipulation they gave me of like I'm just a picture and something nice that he has to say about them. And yeah, sure. What? So yeah, freaking headphones, bro. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, and they ain't cheap. Those are, dude. What are they like? Twelve hundred bucks or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Very worth it. Very, very worth it, in my opinion. And uh, if... Whoa. I'm like... Yeah, bro. I'm going to have to cut out so much silence from just being <laughs> speechless right now. So, yeah, if you guys... Um, I mean, obviously... I'll tell a little story about those now. Do it. Yeah, I, go for yeah, it. I had a pretty big project going on over the summer, and uh, my wife is originally from Lithuania, 
And when we go to visit her family, we don't just go for the weekend. You know, it's like mm. we're going to be there for a couple of weeks to make it worthwhile. And it was her family's first time meeting our son, Vince. And I was going to be there for a minute and I had to finish this project. And I, we were done, but I knew that there was going to be revision stuff popping up. And I was just kind of freaking out about being over there because uh, there are studios over there. But every time I've rented one, the monitoring situation hasn't been great. Mm. I really didn't want to like, go mess up the record you know in the final stages or whatever and i have hd 600s which i like a lot um but yeah, those are great i got the 650s yeah i was i'm a fan still to this yeah. day yeah but as soon as i compared I, I had 650s and i used them for about a year uh in the studio and then when i got the odyssey i put the odyssey on once and did an ab i haven't touched the 650s one time i was talking to you about them and i was just like can i just check these out and and see which one am I going to take with me. And Chris let me take the LCDs to Lithuania. It wasn't just like, can I take these home for a weekend? And you're like, <laughs> you can take these to the other side of the world. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, luckily I only had to do one recall out while I was there, but I wasn't nervous at all sending it off. And I, I spent some time like getting to know them before I left. And They're fun to listen to, man. The width. Like I, the first time I ever heard them was at Nam. Mm-hmm. And you know, Nam is a, these are open back headphones, so they seal out no noise yes. at all. Yeah. And I put them on, and even at Nam, I was like, oh, yeah, whoa, these are the best things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, we haven't talked about this in the show yet. I'm obsessed with headphones, and I think that comes from having an extremely dysfunctional childhood. <laughs> yeah, because headphones were like, I'm I can't leave here. But if I put headphones on, it will seem like I have left. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. headphones are just like, I think they're the coolest thing in the world. And I've yeah. been on this like endless quest to find the perfect headphones that I felt comfortable mastering with. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Odyssey sent me like the LCDXs and they sent me the MX4s as well. Yeah. And they're both great for very different reasons. I'll let you listen to the MX4s. The MX4s are, are more clinical. Uh-huh. The LCDXs, I think, are more fun to listen to. Mm, right. like you get a little bit more, a little bit more punch, I guess you'd say to them. Yeah. I like mastering with the MX4s, but I would imagine I'd rather mix on the LCDXs. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that was another thing that I liked about them was the transient response. That's it awesome. Felt really good. And thank you. I've been I've been planning organizing. on doing this for so long. I've been like, I gotta get Mark a pair. I gotta get Mark a pair. Because you're an easy sell. It's like, hey, it's Mark Abrams. No. And they're like, okay. <laughs> He's like, okay. No. That's- they Googled you before I before I pitched or when I pitched you. And it was it was quite easy. They're like, that guy, of course. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh yeah, man. If anybody from Odyssey is listening, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, we'll so we'll talk. We'll come back to that at another juncture. Um, but let's talk about Actually, maybe we'll edit this out, but let me try something here. So one of the things here, I don't know how I feel about this, mm-hmm. and we might edit this out, but I'm, I have a referral link uh, that I w- yeah. like thought maybe about mentioning, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't want to do it. Well, let's, let's do this. So let's just make a pact here and say, if we're talking about gear, we're not going to talk about something that we don't like. We just won't. Yeah. It won't be on the show. It won't be on the show. Absolutely. Right? And just because we like it doesn't mean that you'll like it. Yes. Right? So, Or that it's means. important for your workflow or your studio or your particular taste. Yeah. These are just, yeah. Like if, if we talk about gear, it's our opinions. Yeah. And I th- we think we'll probably share our opinion. Yeah. But like, yeah. I, I, def- I like gear. I like talking about gear. I love it's it. Not, it's not the greatest thing. Like if you're, if you're still figuring out your stuff and you're more excited about gear than you are about using it. That hurts me. 
<laughs> I'm also often more excited about gear than using it. I realized that once um, when I was like buying a mic or something like that, uh, I was excited for like the first session after I had it. And uh-huh. then um, I don't know if it was like a session I didn't want to go to or something like that, but I was going and I was like thinking about that session. I was like, well, maybe it'd be more fun if I had this other thing or whatever. And I was like, wait, I just bought a mic and I'm going to the session and I'm not looking forward to it. I was like, it just like really was one of those eye-opening moments of sometimes I'm just buying gear to inspire myself or get myself excited about a thing, but it's like, am I actually even enjoying using it? Yeah. You know, or am I even using it for the thing I thought I was going to use for whatever? Or does it make what you do, which is the important thing, easier to do? Yes. Or does it make it more complicated? Yeah. That, and like we're totally off in the weeds here, but perfect example, we're both using EVRE20s. Yeah. And I, I'm obsessed with the RE20. It's my favorite piece of gear ever. Yeah. Because it's freaking easy to use. There's no proximity effect. So, like, whether I'm right here or whether I'm back here, my vocal tone is pretty much the same. Right. My volume changes. S's aren't crazy. Yeah. S's aren't crazy. The rejection's fine. I love the tone. So, yeah, even just today, I saw like a blog post from Bobby Winsky. Did I say that right? Ozinski. Ozinski. Sorry, Bob. I think I'm the worst name pronouncer of all time. And I saw he had this post about this Earthworks created like an SM7B killer. It's like a condenser that's hypercardioid. And I, I was like drooling over it. And then I was like, no, Chris, <laughs> no. Yes, it would be cool to reach out to that company and give yeah. that thing a try. But the RE20 is good enough. Yeah. Focus on content. Right. Focus on like being yourself. Focus on art. Focus on creativity. Yeah. Mike isn't going to help you do that. Right. Right. You know, what I have done since that realization was I gear that I wanted to buy was no longer like I saw the the new, you know, thing come out at NAM or like the thing on the front page of Sweetwater and it turned into what are things that are going to light me up in the studio or be really inspiring. So it was partially Vance Powell's fault, if not all Vance Powell's fault of <laughs> seeing his weird mic collection of old Ampex tape recorder mics that are high Z inputs. So you got to use them with the DI, but they have a sound and it's those moments in a session where you're like, what would be cool on this thing is this really particular tone and I got it in the blocker. I'm going to go get that. He's awesome. That man. makes it fun. And that's back to creativity. Yeah. Well, Vance has a really cool outlook on this subject that we're talking about. I was down there a few years ago. This is like before Six Figure Home Studio podcast and everything. And I was hanging out with Matt Boudreaux and Lid Shaw, mm-hmm. other podcasters that were like my dads yeah. <laughs> for podcasting. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to Vance's studio uh, and hang out. Uh, he's going to do a mixing lesson. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a mastering engineer with a YouTube ad. I can't believe it. Let me hang out with him. And so we went to, to Vance's and he pulls up a Chris Stapleton session that he had recorded and mixed. And at the time, Chris Stapleton was just the bee's knees. Oh, yeah. I still love him. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, that's also all I was listening to. He just won another two CMAs two nights ago for Chris Stapleton. I did not know that. Yeah. Chris Stapleton is just incredible like what a what a soul that's what yeah. i'm gonna say about yeah. chris stapleton yeah so we're we're sitting there and he is like yeah i'm gonna open the whiskey song like yeah. the real the mega tennessee hit. whiskey yeah and I, I think it was tennessee whiskey and he opens it up and he's like making a point and he pulls up the snare track and you know there's a real distinctive like reverby snare on yep. this song it, it could be the different song that i'm thinking of he pulls it up and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And he's like, what plugins on my uh, snare there, guys? It's the freaking stock D-verb from Pro Tools. Like the yeah. cheapest, it's been around for like 20 years. Is that right? About, that's been a long time. As long as yeah. I've been in audio, there's been D-verb. Yeah. 
and it is it's got to be like the 400th sexiest reverb you could possibly use right there's so many other options but he just freaking threw it on there and moved forward with the project and it's good enough yeah yeah yikes it got him there fast you know the yeah. You're absolutely right about the song because we did a mix breakdown video on Pure Mix okay. of, of that song or whatever. And yeah, it's on no there. way. Yeah, he didn't even use an ox. Right. He just freaking threw the plug in on there yep. and messed with the wet, wet dry. dry. I was like, yeah. isn't that what like 14 year olds do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. And he tells some pretty crazy stories. He talks about how they came into the studio, it was late at night, and two hours later they had that song, you know? And it was this thing that they were playing out on the road. They hadn't really figured it out. And he shows in the Pro Tools session because they just rolled tape. And they're playing through the live version of it. And then somebody's like, you know, I think we need an intro. Two hours later, there's Tennessee Whiskey. So that's that's really cool that Vance, he prioritizes a little differently than a lot of us do. That he looks at flow and magic and, you know, he's he was what? He's live sound at first yes. and then transitioned yeah. to the studio. And I think that gives him a little bit more of a get up and go mentality. If it's a, a live sound engineer, I mean, the show's going to start at a certain time and you're either ready or you're not. Yeah. With a studio, you can procrastinate yeah. for a year <laughs> Yeah. before you actually record anything Yeah. if you want to. I know, because I've done it. I do it all the time. <laughs> we have to get Vance on the podcast. Oh, that'd be great. so many things. That'd be yeah. super great. We also have a Blackbird studio tour video coming. I love Blackbird. The yeah, place the is so cool. systems in there. Holy crap. Yeah. Right. Well, when you've got, what do they have, like 10 rooms in there? Yeah. Like, you got to have systems when you got... Yeah. You could conceivably have 10 engineers all working simultaneously on different songs in right. different rooms. Yeah, and in the inventory, you've got like 1033609 sitting somewhere. Yeah, $100,000 microphones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I heard a story one time about a buddy of mine was there. And oh, who's who's the real funny tall guy with curly hair that works there? Is it Mark Rubel? Mark Rubel, yeah. yeah. I think it was Mark Rubel was telling this story about like when he first started working there that John, the owner, like threw him that microphone. Yep. <laughs> so it's a repli- they it's a stereo um, Neumann. Uh, I don't remember. It's yeah, it's a stereo, or is it? It's, I think it's Telefunken. Two fifty one. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's a stereo two fifty one. We are so deep in the replica. nerd right now. I, know, I love yeah, it. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he throws the replica at people, <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, check it out. It's serial one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I should cut that out so people don't know it's a replica. <laughs> well, but that's an example of a, a system. It's a, a running joke that he does again and again. But yeah. you, I would imagine that you learn an awful lot about a person when they think they're being tossed a $100,000 mic. Right. How spry is this individual on his feet? We're about ready to find out. Yeah, like, I was thankful he didn't do it to me because oh, I would I would have dropped it. I'm that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my so. gosh. Okay, so we're going to talk about a few stories of how creatives, some in our industry, some not in our industry, have used systems to enhance and enable creativity. And so this is just sort of like a, a systems apologetics episode, I guess. Like we're talking about like systems are great. Let us try to convince you. You're probably already convinced because only a crazy person would listen to the show and, and be sort of anti-systems. But I think these stories will be inspiring. Right. So, man, Mark, why don't we lead off with your story about video production? Yeah, we were shooting a marketing video for our studio this week with a really, really great cinematographer. And the guy who was helping me put the, the video together, I brought him in because I knew that I was too busy to make this thing happen by myself. Mm. It kind of been on the back burner of like things I got to get to. And I really care about this, but I'm so busy I can't. So finally, I just reached out and I was like, I got this thing I got to do. I know you're going to be awesome at it. 
let me hire you to help out with this just so it gets done. My friend's name is Sterling Brunswald. He's a video production teacher at Grooveview in town here. Okay. And he also sounds like a colonel from World War One yes. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's an awesome friend and actually primarily is an audio guy like us and just amazing at it. But he also happens to be amazing at video stuff. So anyway, I brought in Sterling to help out with this thing, knowing that he was going to just make sure the thing got across the finish line and help me just get it done, but also do a kick-ass job. So he had a friend, his name is Boyan, and Boyan is a great cinematographer, has done a bunch of Bon Jovi videos and some really mm. high-level stuff, all that looked amazing when Sterling was showing it to me. And Sterling pitched the idea to me of bringing him on board to do this, and instantly I was like, this just got expensive. That's what was going on in my head, and I was thinking, we know how to use cameras, I know some stuff, you know some stuff, you're really good. I can point a camera. We could probably do this on our own. And he made the case of, if we bring this guy in, the day's going to go smoother. We're going to know that we walk out of this thing with everything that we mm-hmm. want to get. We're only going to do this once if we do it this way. And he explained that he wanted to do what's called in the video world as shoot to edit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to preface that for anybody that works in video. That might be a basic thing to you, so sorry if it is, but it, it was something that really sparked in my head, I I was like, I have to talk to Chris about this mm. after the shoot because I was like, this might be an episode idea. So what shoot to edit means, and help me out here too, Chris, basically when we went in there, we had a concept for what the video was, but we didn't have it storyboarded. So storyboarding would be actually somebody cartoon drawing out each yeah. shot. And it's very cut and dry. Like when you go to the shoot, this is what we're capturing, make it look like this. What we did was we had a script idea of what was going to happen in this thing. And it was a bunch of quick fire edit shots that we kept on joking that it was almost like the engineer putting on a bat suit, but instead it's like plugging in microphones or something like that. Yeah. Right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So going in, we were like, okay, this is what we're making happen. And because that's how we all feel when we're like, turning, right. if we're yeah. plugging stuff in. It's like, <laughs> there's like a soundtrack. Exactly. Titan thing screw on microphone stand. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It's all like hyper amazing in our heads of what's actually yeah. happening. But yeah. in real life, it's just like <laughs> cable. <laughs> anyway. Um, so we went in, we had a shot list. So it was like, we're going to get something of a patch cable. And there's obviously going to be B-roll of the compressors and you know all that. But there were specific shots of this is the sequence that they would happen in. And so Sterling had this shot list. And he had communicated with his videographer, cinematographer, Boyan, about what the shots were. They talked about it the night before, and he stamped it and said, yeah, it's going to work out great. And then when I came in for the shoot, I was just watching them fly around and just dance through this shot list. That was, it was like 80-some shots, and they had a day and a couple hours the next day to, to do it. And it was amazing just how fluid and how well it all went together, how relaxed they were. Everybody had so much fun. We had some good food. We had a couple good breaks to actually eat the good food. It was a really fun, chill session. And we got moments in there of being able to just have some fun too of like, well, what what if we also did this? Because now that we're in here and we're thinking about this, it would also be cool if blah, 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 Mm. or whatever. So all of that preparation led to a relaxed atmosphere that fostered creativity in the moment. That's really cool. And one of the things we talked about before this episode is in video, there's an idea of A-roll and B-roll. So A-roll is this idea of you come in and you have a camera and the camera films the thing. Mm. And it's really, this person's going to talk and then this person's going to talk and we're going to film all of these things. B-roll is the idea of, a lot of times you'll do this with two guys, but sometimes they'll break it up. They'll do all their A-roll first and then do all their B-roll or or vice versa. B-roll means just run around with a camera, 
probably not on a tripod, probably handheld, and look for cool shit and just get like little slow. A lot of times it's slow-mo, so they'll film at 120 frames per second and then slow it down to 24 frames per second. So it's all this like, girl's hair blowing in the wind. Like water splashing as car drives by. Like just cool shit. We did a nerd shot of throwing out a mic cable and I had to throw it at the camera lens. Nice. I was, I'm not the most coordinated person for anybody who knows me, and I was like, I was so nervous I was going to nail his lens with the XLR cable. But anyway, Is, your, is your lack of coordination a result of being unbalanced? Oh, <laughs> there it is. We got a good one. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. The king of the dad joke. Girl. My, kids, my kids have gotten mad at them lately. They, they get pissed when I make them, and I just, Uh-oh. I've had to explain to them, like, this is my right. Right, right. <laughs> it's your I've father. I have earned this. <laughs> earned this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to keep making the dad jokes. Yeah. But, but yeah, they're, so this idea of A roll and B roll is you have a really set, like, structured system to get the minimum viable content. So like, let's make that a term, minimum viable content. You record everything that you need in vocal takes and you have enough vocal takes to us to create a usable vocal take. Yeah. That's minimum viable content. You don't do 75 extra takes and punch in and comp like 14 different edits in one word yeah. to make it like it's, it's much more, well, what would actually get us to done? Yeah. Uh, and then we can worry about you know, going above and beyond after that. So this idea of A-roll and B-roll is you do the minimum viable content. Then you go around and you film cool shit. And then the cool shit becomes like extra. It becomes the seasoning that makes the video interesting. And there's a system there of like, have a really structured plan for this and then have absolutely no plan for what you do with this. Just like let the juices flow and just be creative and just, you know, go out and have fun and, be a kid with a camera. So yeah, I love that story. There's another story that that reminds me of. So Mark and I both live in Columbus, Ohio, the home of possibly the greatest ice cream on planet Earth, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. Jenny's makes some of the most interesting and bizarre and beautiful flavors in the world. So it's not like vanilla and chocolate. It's like Madagascar vanilla bean endangered kangaroo pelt yogurt ice cream. Yeah. Like it's just everything that she makes is is a little different. You know, one of her most famous flavors is called Queen City Cayenne, and it's a spicy ice cream. Weird. Super weird. She started her business in this place called the North Market, which is probably the dopest foodie place in Columbus, Ohio. It's just this huge, ancient warehouse full of the most artisanal food places. So if you're like, I want really good Nepalese dumplings, Mm -hmm. you go there. I want Nashville hot chicken that's gourmet you go there it's fantastic no offense to anybody in nashville but hattie b's is in the same league as i think columbus's hot chicken takeover it's so good but she started this ice cream shop there and she had a lot of creative arrogance with Mm -hmm. this and i don't think that would offend her i I wish i was her friend i think she's amazing she had this sort of like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and that's the only thing that matters And so you would go to her ice cream shop in the North Market and she made one flavor per day. And the flavor was usually like a little bit out there. She invented salty caramel. So you guys have seen salty caramel stuff. That wasn't a thing until Jenny apparently. But she would do these flavors that are like really esoteric. And she had a background in making perfume. And so she brought that to making ice creams. 
but you would show up and it was like i've made this weird flavor that you've never heard of it's like uh vanilla kangaroo pelt kangaroo pelt and do you want it yes or no not what flavor do you want do you want this ice cream yes or no if you don't then get the hell out of here right there's something inherently badass about that that she was just like no i'm gonna make my art and if you're into it cool if you're not screw you yeah but predictably her business tanked it folded she had to you know close the shop and then she went out of business for a while and then started a new ice cream shop changed the name i I forget what it was called before but now it's called jenny splendid ice creams Mm. and what they did that they changed is they said okay we're gonna have two giant freezer cases of ice cream you know you walk up to the ice cream place and they're scooping it out for you one of them is going to have our most popular flavors. They're going to have our salty caramels and our Queen City cayenne and our brambleberry crisp and our... Uh, that one is so good. It is so good. All of them are, are fantastic. But we're going to have a case. These are the flavors that we know everyone are going to like. They're a little out there. They're a little creative, but you are going to like these. Right. And then in the other case, that's the art case. In the art case, that's where like the kangaroo pelt and the like <laughs> meteorite flavored ice cream, like all the strangest, most artisanal, like let's, I went to a class one time where she taught us how to make peppermint ice cream and like her method wasn't like buy peppermint extract. It was like, take these leaves off a peppermint plant yeah. and crush them and then mix them with cream and let them sit overnight. That tastes a lot different than right. peppermint extract. And this yeah. is very, very good. I've done it. It was fantastic. But she would take these artisanal flavors and have them separate, and they would rotate. Mm-hmm. So every week or every month, new flavors would come in, and it gave her a playground, somewhere where she could have fun, could flex her creative muscles, but at the same time could be sure that, hey, if you're a customer and you show up, you're going to get something you like. Yeah, It's not going to be too far out there. It's not going to be like black licorice fennel sausage flavor. You know, like yeah. <laughs> There's going to be something that you like, and there's something to be said for creating space for creativity, but also making sure that you've locked down that we're we're going to please the customer. Yeah. We're going to get across the finish line. And that system of just having two cases, hey, this one's got like our biggest hits, this is our greatest hits case, and this is our, whoa, that's a weird flavor, like hibiscus lavender. Like that's right. a strange thing. I've never heard of that before. And it's an adventure when you go in because you can decide how many of the weird flavors you want to try. And then sometimes an ice cream will jump from the art mm. freezer to the everyday freezer. Right. And there's something just so cool about creating systems yeah. for that. And so let's bring this home to our industry. You told me a story about just, I think, a wonderful human, a beautiful soul, Miss Sylvia Massey. Yeah. Tell me about Sylvia and how she uses systems to create room for play, but still ensure that she gets her job done. Yeah. So Sylvia, sorry if I butcher any of this. You can come on and correct us anytime you want. Please come on and correct us. Yeah. Sylvia has has talked on some stuff about how when she's working on booking a record with the band, they'll say, let's just throw out an example. We have 10 songs and we want to record it in Germany or whatever. So she'll be like, okay, I think it's going to take us about three weeks so 21 days but we're gonna book 24 days Mm. and those last three days are going to be nothing but creative insanity basically if you've ever heard of sylvia she recorded famous tool records system of a down and 
she has some amazing books recording unhinged i want to say is the name of her her book where she did all the illustration and everything but it's her illustrating things like them shooting a piano for the tool record with a shotgun and and stuff like that so those are the kinds of things that you can expect like plugging a hot dog between a guitar head yeah and a cabinet or i whatever. saw one with a pickle i think yeah yeah, yeah. the pickle and yeah <laughs> figuring out what the effect cha- you know the tone changes are she does stuff like that in the sessions throughout the thing if she's inspired but those last three days are known with her and with the band that's going to be creative exploration insanity we're going to throw guitars off at the side of cliff and put a mic at the bottom and hope that it sounds cool when it comes down or you know that kind of stuff or she's done some stuff in nuclear silos like just insanity so when people go to sylvia to make a record they're they're looking for everything that she's amazing at but also the craziness of shooting a piano with a shotgun and the unique piece of art that that gives. She's told stories about how sometimes it doesn't work out. But anyway, the whole point of having these three days at the end is we're here to get the job done from days one through 21. At the end of that, we've got our record. But we're going to try and spice the record up in the last three days, and it's just going to be nothing but fun. And what she's talked about is that during those 21 days, she finds that everybody is really moving forward and even when things are getting tough, everybody kind of has this little nugget at the end to look forward to. You know, it's like a little carrot where they're like, okay, we're going to get to the super, super fun stuff mm-hmm. on these days. So let's just, let's get through these songs. If things are getting hard, they can always look forward to that thing. And it just makes the whole thing rigid in the sense of we have a job to get done, but then allowing room for creativity and a lot of fun at the end. Honestly, we're kind of doing that right now. Brian and I's podcast, Six Figure Creative formerly Six Figure Home Studio, we're pretty rigid with that. And we have to be. Like yeah. we're, we're recording online remotely and we've got multiple people's schedules to worry about. We're in the same town. We just hang out at yeah. 2 o'clock on Fridays yeah. and just shoot the shit. And I love how loose this is and that I don't have to avoid talking about gear. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> on yeah. this show. Yeah. Yeah, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can get crazy like that. And I think there is an important balance for any creative of having structure, having a system, but then having a creative joy ride. Yeah. And I think what's so brilliant about Sylvia's plan there is that most people will remember how something was mostly based on the end of it. Hmm. So like what's the movie, the usual suspects, good movie, unbelievable ending. Therefore, great movie yeah you take home the last thing that happened and you're like oh that was so cool oh that was awesome and for sylvia massey's clients i would imagine that three days of just pure chaotic fun right i mean i would love as a kid to have shot a piano with a shotgun right that's so that sounds amazing so there's there's something really cool about her letting her clients leave with that taste in their mouth Mm -hmm. With remembering of like, man, dude, when we dropped that guitar off the nuclear silo, man, and it hit the freaking, like, oh, that was so crazy. Not the like, man, when I started bleeding because of the 47th track of that stupid song that we had to record, gosh, that was so exhausting. That was so over the top and so intense. And there's, there's probably some element I would imagine, I'd love to talk to Sylvie about this, but I would imagine that there's some aspect too of, look, I know we could do better. But if we try to do better, we're to the point where we'll ruin it. And so we're going to do fun stuff now, which is probably a much easier transition than go home. Right. You right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a really specific system there, a really, really intentional plan 
that I think is very socially talented and wise mm-hmm. of her because I'm, I'm thinking like I would love to record. I used to record my own records and go to studios and whatever years and years and years ago. And most of the stuff isn't even on Spotify right now. And I've thought about wanting to record a record of my own, but the work aspect of it just is not really very appealing. Yeah. But to think about it in regards to this would be so freaking fun. Right. It's a little bit of a different story. And I imagine that has an enormous impact on her business. They're like, would you go rather record with the really fun, amazing um, personality that is Sylvia Massey? Or would you rather go record with, um, you know, Jim, the the brass tacks, like boring, condescending jerk? I've been doing this for two decades. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you that guitar (laughs) is one cent out of tune. (laughs) If If you don't want to listen to me. I did. I used to be that guy, man. There was a, a band I was working with a long, long time ago, and it was a husband and wife. And the husband had hired me to produce, but he hadn't really communicated to his wife the difference between hiring a producer and hiring an engineer. Mm. And so I was like producing, and she like was like, "Yeah, um, if you could just stop um, any ideas or creativity or advice, just, just you know, just do your job." And I had to have this really awkward. I was like, "Look, lady." Like, uh, if you just wanted someone to pay the red button, that's a lot cheaper. I charged you a lot because I was being such a tool. Like, I was so offended by that. And this has nothing to do with our episode at all, other than to contrast, like, if if you want to come record a record with me from 15 years ago versus Sylvia Massey now, like, you're going to want to go with Sylvia Massey. Yeah, yeah. Just, not even from the fact that her final product's going to be a million times better than anything I would have done. Or would do, <laughs> for that matter. Pretty good. But you're going to have way more fun. Yeah. Like she is, she's an expert at that. Mm-hmm. And her system, from the story, it sounds like it allows that to happen. Yeah. And I want to throw something in there too. She is an amazing engineer. And the importance that she places on creativity, having fun, being loose, and just creating art, that looseness and that freeness also contributes to the the fact that she's an amazing engineer too mm-hmm. i think you know it's it's not being obsessive about what eq is this and did you have the oversampling on in the fab filter pro q3 or were you just doing it like you just did it you had it off the whole time didn't you like that <laughs> that'll give you cancer you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> like having this like free spirit and great just cancer joke into- by the way those are hard to come by <laughs> And now I'm like running it through the PC no, calculator. Do not edit that out. <laughs> yeah. <no>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, um, yeah, she just, I don't know. I have a feeling that that kind of spirit bringing that is what really makes her amazing at what she does and not Agreed. being obsessive about it. Yeah. yeah, man, that's so cool. So not to be self-focused or anything like that, but we've got two more stories um, about our own workflows mm. that I think will be helpful in regards to just illustrating this point that the point of a system is not to remove the soul. It's to free the best version of you who has nothing to do except be creative and have fun. So as a mastering engineer, I, you know, was working out of my basement. We're having kids and trying to balance growing a business and being a dad and having obnoxious amounts of PTSD that had not yet been diagnosed. So we just thought it was my prickly personality and all this stuff. Yeah. But 
what I had to do to grow my mastering business was I had to systemize because I often, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was having, I was symptomatic with PTSD stuff. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was a little bit inconsistent and it really had to be the right vibe or I just wasn't, yeah. I was either going to hate myself at the end of the day or I was going to hate my business or I was just, or I was going to take it out on everybody around me. Yeah. So I systemized the heck out of it to the point where I never asked clients for a download link. They did it all through my system. I never labeled files. I never dragged and dropped files. They just showed up in the right folder Mm -hmm. on my system, labeled with all the information that I needed for the client and linked to a questionnaire with all the artistic information that I needed from the client as well. And the form was funny. There's jokes and emojis and it's my personality and there's a lot of videos in it too. Mm -hmm. So a good example is like, I ask people on the forum, like, what DAW did you mix this in? Or who makes this, you or somebody else? And if it's you, okay, what DAW did you use? Uh, Cubase. And then a video pops up where it's me and my former assistant, Brian, current coaching client, freaking nice. Brian Skeel. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah, He's unbelievable. He's in our systems coaching program right now. And yeah. it's cool. He had to fire me as his boss because he got way into the Six Figure Home Studio stuff and it's crushing it. Now and had no time. We cannot just fly over that sentence. He had to fire me as his boss. Yeah, he had to fire me, and I, I love that idea. I love the concept. Yes, dude. Wait, like, all right. Well, I, I love that. I, I think that the power is always in the person receiving the money. Yeah, but you just flew over it. Like, that's just. I think that there's a Hebrew word called yadao for that. Okay, I I think that's the name. Somebody told me this once. They were like, "You can know something." Sorry, this is a sidetrack. No, this is awesome. You can know something, but there's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. Mm. Like you might know how an 1176 works, but do you know how an 1176 works? Those are two different yeah, things. Yeah, do you feel it in do your you bones? Feel it? Yeah, do you know exactly where right is? Or did you know, did you just say like, Dr. Pepper setting's cool, next thing, <laughs> you know, or whatever, which, you know, that's fine. But you, you doubt Brian fired me as his boss. I couldn't like just pass over that, obviously. Huh. I'm just going on about That's it. It's interesting, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that is a cool concept. It's like I love the guitar. Like there's nothing I'd rather do outside of like hanging out with people I love yeah. than play guitar. And I can play the guitar, but if it's my guitar, yeah, it's a lot different. Doesn't matter how good the guitar is in most cases. Yeah. But if it's my guitar, I know that guitar. Yeah. And I can make it do things. Because I know it, I know it's nuance. That's a whole other conversation. I think about, boy, I don't want to use the word mastery because I, like, I would not claim to be a master at the guitar, but th- there's an element there of, yeah. of that also frees you up to be creative. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like I can play a piano, but Bobby Floyd knows how to play a piano. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He, yeah the, the touch is different. Yeah. The touch. Yeah. And he doesn't, it's subconscious. Anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah. Sorry for that. No, you're totally yeah. right. So back to my story about mastering. So I build all these systems. I don't have to download files. I don't have to label files. And I don't have to drag and drop. I don't have to even set up my session. The computer does all of it. It's got all this code that I wrote and that my dude Kyle and I have upgraded a bunch of times. And all the files show up in the right session, organized in the right way, in the right order, with the right gaps between songs. And they come to me. They've been gain staged properly. Mm-hmm. So that when I sit down or when Kyle sits down to master a session, we go right to the creative part. Yeah. We go right to the do anything you freaking want because all the other admin crap is gone. That system allows me to be more creative as a mastering engineer. And it gives me more time to just sort of vibe, to do the fun thing and, and to connect with the song. 
And, you know, the same thing is once I'm done, like I'm not bouncing or labeling files or uploading them or dragging and dropping them and sending them to the clients. That's all automatic. Yeah. As soon as I get done, I'm like, yes, done. Bounce files. All my clients get their files. I, to be honest, I don't even do a QC check anymore because I've done it so many thousands of times and been like, no, I'm happy with what I did. My first instinct yeah. is always my best instinct. Mm-hmm. And having a system lets that first instinct be possible. If it wasn't for the system, the first instinct is like has shriveled right. <laughs> into yeah. a raisin by right. the time it's actually time to be creative. But I'm giving it my best. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times, and we know this in the studio. If you're tracking a band, there's a magic in the first take most of the times, and you're never going to get on any subsequent take. Yeah, and you should comp that in. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. if you're not comping in something from the first take, you, you didn't pre-pro, right? Yeah, you know that. Uh, I can't believe I'm I'm talking about this as a mastering engineer. I'm not a guru on this. This is just my. Well, I mean, I always think that mastering engineers have have such an interesting perspective on seeing so many records at the end of the process, though, Mm -hmm. you know, because you know the things that you're hearing right away of like when you hear a a problem that might be in a mix, you can usually kind of trace it all the way back to like, where did that part of it happen? Mm -hmm. I definitely think that mastering engineers have a very interesting perspective of just getting the final piece the way that the artist sees it as complete, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that from a mixing perspective. So one of the things we talked about before this episode is there was a time before you used like a mix template mm-hmm. before you had any sort of system and it was just sort of fly by the seat of your pants, record tracks, and then, you know, just get a garbage bag full of everything that you might need to make the record and then pull it all out later. What's the client's the client has left and see if you can make something cool. Yep. And then, you know, obviously there's been a huge transition for you on that. Yeah. So what's that been like? Like what kind of freedom has that created for you? Uh, one, it, it created better records for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I first started out, and I don't, this is probably, I was starting 1999, 2000, like right in the cusp of digital recording being available to everybody. And the idea then was like, get the hottest signal that you can without clipping. <laughs> and then you can do anything you want later. Did, you, did you start with ADATs? I didn't. No. I didn't. No. You're lucky, son of I've a gun. used them. They're awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they made us sink a bunch of ADAT machines in school, and that was like, oh, yeah, gosh. yeah, not good. Um, I started with the Digi Double O One. That was oh, my okay, first. Yeah, right on. yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was like that was the idea of in my studio. I had preamps mm-hmm. without compressors or EQs on them, and I would buy nice preamps, but they were going right into Pro Tools, and then I would do everything in there. And a lot of times I was moving fast, and I was only charging twenty bucks an hour when I started out, and clients like. If they're going to the guy who's charging 20 bucks an hour, they're probably watching the clock more than the guy who's paying more than that or whatever. Right? And didn't prep. Yeah, and didn't prep. Yeah, so as we're going down, I'm like capturing everything all clean and you know, they're like, can we like, can we sparkle this up a little bit? And I'm like, we'll, we'll do it in the mixing process. Let's just get everything recorded. And oh my gosh, <laughs> like, if I could go back, that would be, you know, like, let me... Let me have a conversation with you, young Mark. <laughs> whatever, like, <laughs> this is not recording. <laughs> this That's is funny. This is surveillance or whatever, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that hurts. Right. That's a- right. Yeah. I mean, that's because recording is art. And when you watch somebody like Sylvia or Vance, uh, and when they're going in, I mean, you put those faders at zero and hit play, that's a record, you know? Yeah. And when you go to mix, you, you enhance a couple things, sure. But it, you're not recreating the record or creating the record from scratch, you know? Yeah. 
So how that relates to mix templates, a, a lot of guys I talk to will strongly say, I don't use a mix template. I go off of my gut. We're all going off of our gut. And what I kind of learned is that's not necessarily true about they don't have a mix template because they always order their tracks the exact same way. Mm. They're usually pulling up from memory, but they have in their head, I know I want this AMS reverb on these drums. And they go into it. They just don't have it in a session that they import the data from. But mm. the template's in their head. I guess the more important thing there is that they have a system of, I always do my track order this way. I might have color coding. Or part of my system is that I don't have something looking at me asking to be used, and I just go off of memory to bring it in there. Your brain is a computer, and your computer is a computer. Hmm. And some of the work is done by the computer, and some of it is done by your brain. And systemization is just about taking the crap that you would rather not have to do and transferring it from one computer to the other. Yeah. So if you're doing your template from memory, cool. Yeah. But it would be much more efficient to save it and then open it up. And I think yeah. one of the things that this gets into is a lot of people are very passionate about this. Like, oh, I don't use templates or oh, I don't use presets or you know, systems. Well, those are for amateurs and you know they're just following a recipe. I'm a true artist. Like all of that stuff, I think stems back to ego. Mm. It stems back to psychology. I think a lot of us, we don't do things for the reason we think we do things. We have two brains inside of our head. We have the subconscious and we have the conscious. And we think that the conscious is in the driver's seat. It's not. Your subconscious is in the driver's seat because the subconscious's prime directive is keep the organism alive. Do whatever you need to do, even if that means uh, telling a little lie to the conscious mind. Right. Even if that means uh, making the organism flip into fight or flight because somebody cut you off while you're driving down the highway and like, you're fine. They just, they were a little bit rude, but you're screaming at them as if like, there's going to be a death match <laughs> here. That's because your subconscious is actually in charge. Yeah. And the same is true. I think in the studio is that our conscious is driving us to do things that make us feel better, that make us feel safer, that make us feel more secure. And sometimes that's a good thing, but usually it's not. Yeah. And I think the primary purpose of a system is to help you power through the freaking weirdness that is your own human brain mm. that is, you know, wanting to feel ego, that's wanting to feel better about themselves. And that's a that's a strange and complicated thing. And hopefully you guys cannot hear the vacuum cleaner of the lady uh, <laughs> in, my, in the hallway of my apartment complex right now. We're just going to power through this. And this is the creative time that we allowed. We it's actually our vacuum that we turned on. The exactly. Hallway. Yeah. This is we're we're going avant garde. No longer mix and master faster. It's just it's experimental audio. And now we're going to leave you with the sound of my dog eating my re twenty. <laughs> and uh, for the next forty seven minutes, yeah. that's the remainder of this podcast. Thank you guys. Thank for, you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you guys again soon, and we'll talk uh, a lot more about this idea and how psychology and mixing and mastering faster are closely related. All right, guys, have a great day.